Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same king prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Press Room for Monday the 4th of March. Thanks for your company. And it is a busy show coming up. Ben Dorry's not too far away. A lot to discuss. Mitch Cohen joins me as well. It's all happening in Sydney and Melbourne. Mitch will have all the latest news out of Sydney. We'll have a chat with Chris Barsby again this morning. We saw the Chariots of Fire run and won at Menangle on Saturday night, plus qualifies for this week's Miracle Mile. The barrier draw was conducted yesterday. The market is out. Chris will have all of the latest news. A lot happening in Adelaide and Tassie as well. Ben Scannon joins us in the second half of the program. And Duncan Dornoff with us for the next month as Colin McNiff takes a break. So a big show coming up. Always interested in what you think. You know the drill, 0499 putter or 0499 786837. 0499 786837. Of course, uh, you can contact me via Twitter as well at Radio Tab Oz. And of course, the podcast out every week on the link of Radio Tab Oz or just go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press room every Monday. It's brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, I posed this this morning. Does the Tab Golden Slipper favourite Storm Boy? have an Achilles heel. Considering he's never been beaten in four race starts and three barrier trials, the most likely answer would be no, and an emphatic no at that. But he does have one that could potentially spell danger for a slipper triumph in three weeks' time. He's not fast out of the barrier stalls. Instead, he gathers speed, and very smartly, I might add. On the seven occasions he's been to the racetrack, race or trial... He's drawn barrier one four times, which has, to a major degree, negated the, the fair or average getaway. Check your start on the skyline on Saturday to prove this point. Let's go back to the summer campaign in southeast Queensland. He almost sprawled out of the barriers in the McLaughlin and was a half-length slow in the Magic Millions. His win in the Magic Millions was by far and away his best, cutting the breeze three wide until outside lead at the 700 metres and then fast and strong in the straight en route to a 1-8 Magic Millions victory. The performance, understandably, rated through the roof. His other three performances have been more tradesmanlike than dynamic, but why argue the toss? A win is a win. He's a worthy golden slipper favourite, but $2.30. The value in the price now, three weeks out and pre-barrier draw, is worthy of debate. Of course, Stormboy can be slightly behind at the start and still win. He's high class, it's, it's clear. But in a 16-horse field, and arguably considerably stronger than the Magic Millions, if you're taking short odds, you want plenty in your favour. And a good beginning is always high on the list. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Ben Dorries, first up on Press Room. Ben, good morning. How are you? <laughs> yeah, good morning, David. Yeah, just uh, in those opening remarks there, it's no pot on Storm Boy, far from it. But uh, in a pressure-packed race like the Slipper, 16 runners, and if you happen to draw 12 or 13 and there's, you know, half a length slow or slightly slow, could get into the wrong spot. All I'm saying is you're asked to take pretty short odds three weeks out pre-barrier draw. Agree or disagree? Yeah, totally agree, David, and I said that uh, on the show uh, past the post yesterday as well. I think he's a bet definitely in the size, uh, assuming all goes well over 1,400, more distance, a small field normally. Uh, these two-year-olds tend to drop away a fair bit after the 
the slipper. He'll get more time to, to balance up. Can he win the um, golden slipper? Of course he can. But uh, do you want to be taking those odds this far out when you know there's still a potential for something to go wrong? The track could be boggy. He could draw off the track. Any amount of things could happen. Uh, I couldn't be taking short odds about anything in a golden slipper ever, to be honest. Uh, so will I be taking the short odds about Stormboy? Uh, no, but would it surprise me if he comes out and blows them away? No. He was $2.80 before the Skyline on Saturday. The Skyline, which he was expected to win, so that's why I thought it was a pretty sharp uh, reaction by the, the, the traders to bring him into 2.30, but that's what he is. Now, we were chatting last weekend, of course... Uh, following Mr. Brightside uh, uh, performance, uh, c- comparisons to Better Loosen Up. And you said you would follow this up and have a chat with David Hayes. You're true to your word. There's a story that's gone up on Racing this morning, an extensive one, but a very interesting one too. Yeah, I did, uh, did a bit of homework, um, uh, David. And, yeah, I rang uh, David Hayes in Hong Kong last week. And, and, look, the context of the article which has gone online today is he, he sort of said, look, when he first sort of, I mean, look, when he left for Hong Kong, David, that is, he was a bit worried about, I guess, the shape of Lindsay Park. Um, you know, like he left his, his boys in charge. But given, you know, David's such a big name and Tob Dammiting left as well, um, you know, there was lots of staff that left the, the joint. There was, I think, 30 horses left the joint. So they effectively had to start again. So, look, when David and his, his lovely wife Prue came back from Hong Kong just for a holiday, he, he went down to a paddock and, and sort of had a look at some of the horses and watched some of them at track work. And he said to Prue, he said, oh, look, he, he said, I don't think there's a good horse amongst them. But uh, Mr. Brightside, it turned out, was actually amongst them. But he was just a plain-looking horse in much the same fashion as Better Loosen Up was. There was not much to see. He wasn't a brilliant track worker. But David, after his first uh, two or three starts for Lindsay Park was telling anyone who would listen, uh, this horse reminds me so strongly of, of, of Better Loosen Up in so many ways. He said, uh, and these are direct quotes, he said, after about his third win for the boys, I told anyone who would listen that Mr Brightside reminded me a lot of Better Loosen Up. People just laughed at me. Mr Brightside was also a plain-looking horse from an unfashionable stallion, and he had the same galloping action and was no nonsense and quiet like Better Loosen Up. Um, so, look, and there was plenty of other... Um, you know, comparisons there in terms of, you know, the stuff that we discussed last week about the way their careers are progressing and, and, and you know, all sorts of things. But, look, um, David said, absolutely, um, the comparison is fair. He said, yes, at the moment, Mr Brightside is behind. Better loosen up. I mean, Mr Brightside, six group one wins, better loosen up, eight. And, of course, better, better loosen up did it on the international stage, didn't he, with that fabulous win in the Japan Cup. But David said, look, I mean, Mr. Brightside's won an all-star mile. He's he's firm favourite to win another one uh, just around the corner. So he said, look, these all-star miles, he feels sort of like Group 1. So if you if you, if you you say, you know, they're equivalent to a Group 1, which he sort of feels they are, I'm, I'm not sure if I agree, but but he said, well, look, if he wins if he wins the, the next one in a, you know, in a couple of weeks, he said that'll be eight, effectively, uh, eight Group 1s. He's classing those as Group 1. So he said they'll be level there. But what does he need to do to sort of level up I guess alongside Better Loosen Up in the history books, he said he needs to win uh, at weight for age over 2,000 metres, which would be the Australian Cup, which I'd imagine would be right in his sweet spot. And he said, look, the other box he needs to tick is is winning internationally against some of the best in the world. And I have a feeling, all going well, a Hong Kong trip next year um, in that uh, meeting, is it in April, I think, that meeting, not the December meeting I'm talking about, the April meeting, the one earlier in the year, uh, he said that would potentially be riding his sweet spot too. But look, he said, I mean, sometimes you sort of think, 
oh, look, we make these comparisons in the media and have a bit of fun with them. And then you sort of get to the number of the matter and the trainer says, oh, are you serious? Like, you know, better loosen up was 20 lengths ahead of this horse. But it was actually the other way. David said, no, no, 100%. Uh, the comparisons are very valid. So it was an interesting story, I thought. Yeah, it's, it's, it's up there now. And uh, I think there was enough fertile ground there to, to proceed uh, and, and, and put that to David because, as we discussed last week, there were a number of, of similarities. But... David is spot on, and why wouldn't he be? Uh, they are the two boxes to tick the, the 2,000 metres, uh, wait for age at uh, Group 1 level, and, of course, uh, an international win. Not easy, but uh, he's in the box set, at least, Mr Brightside, for one of those because the Australian Cup is at the end of the month. When we chatted with Ben Hayes last week, the, 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 the three options, they're all sitting there, All-Star Mile, definitely, 16th of March, where he's $2 favourite on tab, the Australian Cup in the middle, a fortnight after that, and then a fortnight to the Queen Elizabeth at Royal Randwick. So if he contests all three, it remains to be seen, but certainly um, all systems go for the All-Star Mile, which he does look uh, very, very hard to beat. Coming back to the local scene here in southeast Queensland, KPMG are conducting a review into the operations of Curic. You've been keeping your eyes open and your ears open, which you generally do, and you've got a bit more to tell us this morning about that. Yeah, well, I know for a fact there's several trainers who have met um, with KPNG. I won't name them because it's, it's obviously, I guess, a private you know process and they air their grievances or, or whatever they want to talk about in private. Um, but I know there's several trainers who've met with them who have expressed serious misgivings um, with the organisation and its and its ongoings and the, and the way it goes about business. So, and look, no no small names either. I mean, we're not talking hobby trainers here. We're talking some some pretty significant trainers. So. Look, that's of interest, I think, and it seems to me that KPMG is doing a, a fair job from what I've seen. I mean, they've spent time with stewards. Obviously, they've spent time with, with Keurig officials. They've spent time, obviously, now with, with trainers. They're, they're getting all around the place to try and get a picture of uh, what's been going on. And, look, the other point of notice, uh, or the other point of note, is uh, Natalie Connor, the Deputy Commissioner, um, is currently uh, on leave, I gather. So... Look, that's just an interesting one to 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 keep an eye on uh, as well, because look, I don't necessarily think she was probably flavour of the month uh, at Keurig, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I gather, you know, she was sort of oversaw the decision to uh, or the initial decision to cut back, um, you know, swabbies and bets on race day, a decision which was later overturned. So look. Um, KPMG, um, they've still got a fair while to go, but it looks like they're sort of getting to all the right people and, and talking to all the, all the, you know, the key participants. So that, it appears as though they're doing a thorough job anyway, David. We'll keep following that story. Of course, racing-wise, uh, we go back to Aquas Park Gold Coast this weekend for the big dual race days. $500,000 for the, the two-year-olds, $500,000 purse for the three-year-olds. Navesh Ramdani produced a video presentation late last week. He was standing on the course proper at the Gold Coast, gave a very positive report. Uh, everything has now started to align. Uh, all the ducks are in a row. The weather has been good. And he's confident of a, a, a ship-shaped track on Saturday, which is good news because, to be fair, we haven't raced on the course proper since Magic Millions Day. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a few issues there which Navesh touched on. Um, and look, I, I must say, David, there is still some degree of nervousness from uh, participants about how the track will perform, the grass track that is on Saturday. But uh, look, I think you know the Gold Coast have taken a cautious approach to its management and, and rebuild, and that's why uh, we've seen meetings track uh, shifted to the poly. So, look, um, 
yeah, really hoping for the best there. I think uh, the Mashani man, Liz Ross, uh, I'm hearing he might virtually have half the field for the two-year-old race. He's got a lot of cuter horses, obviously, and a lot of horses with prize money uh, that would get uh, him into the, the you know the, the two-year-old race. So once you put Les's horses in, and of course those horses that have won qualifying races effectively in, in sort of north and central Queensland, we, we had all those races, <laughs> there may not be many spots left for, for, for anyone else. So, of course, obviously, Les ran a Quinella in the two-year-old uh, race uh, last year. He said, I think at the time, I said it was, his, it was his greatest moment in training or certainly right up there. So we can expect Les Rocks, Les Ross, the Mashani man, and the great Mike Crooks. Hopefully he'll be on track on the Gold Coast on Saturday. They will have a big presence, especially in the two-year-old race. Those noms will be out at lunchtime today. Now, you're getting a little excited. You don't get excited too often, but you are getting a little excited about the Winter Carnival. People say, well, we just come out of summer. But look, to be fair, here we are now into March. Before we know it'll be April. And, of course, the Carnival actually kicks off officially on the first Saturday in May and for two months, May and, and June and just into the early part of July, it's going to be uh, feature racing every Saturday and you reckon there's plenty for the, the putters to like? Oh, absolutely. I just remember when we looked back on last year and I think last year was a very good winter carnival, but we got really excited, didn't we, at the start of the carnival. The Giga Kick was coming and, and people were really up and about for that Doom and 10,000 and got a good crowd on track and there was a real vibe about that day, you know, the, the champion horse turning up. But I think this year uh, we can multiply that by two or three. I mean, we'll have several horses of sort of that uh, gravitas coming up. I, I mean, I did a story last week for RaceNet that... Uh, Amelia's Jewel, who was always going to resume with a couple of runs in Perth, uh, obviously the Quokka being one of them, but will almost certainly um, come to the Winter Carnival uh, for two runs. Now, those two runs are not decided. The, the reason for two runs is they don't want any more because uh, obviously spring is, is a you know, big draw card, so they don't want to sort of have three or four runs in, in winter. But two runs, I mean, potentially you know, the Kingston Smith and the, and the Stradbroke even. So wouldn't that be a bonanza? And, you know, Simon Miller, obviously, and the owner, Peter Walsh, promote that horse magnificently. Uh, and uh, speaking to Walshy last week, he, he said, look, this horse has just turned into an absolute weapon, uh, you know, in, a, in her time off. Um, obviously, we remember things went, went wrong uh, at the end of the spring campaign, but she has she's a Group 1 winner. Uh, she puts bums on seats and she's all class. And, of course, we've got Irish Eye win. Uh, now coming as well. I mean, he's a real headline horse, isn't he? I mean, he, he's he's uh, he's another one that you know gets plenty of heads turning. And, and then, you know, they're just a couple of the ones coming from down south. And then, to be honest, I think Antino having a bit of a setback and missing the the Sydney Autumn Carnival, uh, and it's only a minor setback. I think it will be fabulous for the for the Winter Carnival because we all like to get up and about about local horses. Well, well, here's one that arguably should have won a Group One. Uh, in, in the Melbourne Spring Carnival. Uh, he'll be cherry ripe to go, obviously, uh, for winter. And Uncommon James, we throw him in as well as, as, a, as a leading local. He'll probably have a one-hit mission in Sydney, probably in the Galaxy, and then have a little freshen up for winter. And then you know, there's, there's all the, the, the mystery horses from down south. We don't exactly know which ones are coming up yet. But I, I just have a feeling it could be the strongest winter carnival we, we've seen in many years. I mean, we're not talking about sort of, you know, the day that Black Caviar came to town or anything like that. But I reckon in terms of overall strength and sort of, you know, mouth-watering sort of racing, I reckon it'll be right up there with anything we've seen in the last decade or so. Yeah, interstate trainers have a lot of confidence in, in the Queensland racing product now, the confidence of the Eagle Farm track. There are so many feature races, particularly at Group 1 level with good prize money. 
Uh, I, I think last year's carnival was one of the best we had in recent times, and I agree with you. I have no doubt that, that this year's is going to be second to none. Just before you go, a bit of uh, race course chatter on the weekend at Eagle Farm there. Uh, Barry Baldwin's boxes became available at Eagle Farm. Of course, Barry retiring. Uh, who got those boxes, do you know? Yeah, I gather Annabelle Neesham uh, has got those boxes, thereby expanding her satellite stable presence. Yeah, look, I, I mean, there's, I think there's been a little bit of angst about it from, from other trainers, obviously. I mean, it's a competitive world we live in, isn't it? I mean, everyone wants, well, not everyone, but certainly a lot of leaning trainers want more boxes. Um, how do I feel about it? I mean, it's a decision for the BRC. I mean, you know, they, they're they the landlords. They can rent their boxes to whoever they want. But again, I guess I'm not completely convinced, and you and I had a bit of a debate about this off-air yesterday. I'm not completely convinced whether it's Annabelle or Chris Waller or anyone that satellite stables are the best thing. Um, I know there's an argument that they can help wagering. Um, oh, I'm not completely convinced about that, and... I don't know, like just on a personal level, like I understand she's busy down south and, you know, has got horses everywhere, but if you're going to have a stable up in Queensland, it'd be nice if you could actually come to the races from time to time. That's sort of how I feel about it, I, I guess. But, look, having said that, Annabelle's got a uh, terrific young fella, Tom, Todd Pollard, managing uh, her stable up here, and I've got no doubt he'll be a fine trainer in his own right one day, so... Look, it is what it is, I guess, David. Um, but, yeah, Annabelle Neesham expanding her presence in Queensland for sure. Good on you, Ben. We'll talk soon. Thanks, David. Ben Dorries joining us on Press Room this morning. Let's go to Mitch Cohen from the Daily Telegraph. Mitch, good morning. Good morning, David. How are you? Oh, I'm picking along fine, mate. It's a bit of a gloomy day in Sydney, but we're right in the heart of the carnival now, so no better time to be at work, is there? 100%. James McDonald was very effusive in his praise of Storm Boy, on the weekend, he was doing a lot of talking, and why wouldn't he? I'm pretty sure he's desperate to keep the ride, so he's going to talk it up. But I just wanted to to provide some quotes this morning, then we'll talk about it. This was James uh, discussing Storm Boy post the Skyline win. To quote, I thought I was going fast, and he went faster, McDonald said. When he came down the dip at the top of the straight, I could feel him filling his lungs, and when we got over up the rise, he let go. But he only did what he had to. He isn't a horse that is going to win by 10 lengths because he gets a couple clear and shuts himself down. He's unbelievable. He has so much more to give, and he's going to have love more pressure in a race and actually have something that can go with him. He is a beast, quote-unquote, McDonald said. I, I took those comments on with interest, Mitch, because I you know, looked at all of his wins, and, you know, no doubt, uh, you know, prestige-wise and time-wise and everything-wise, the Magic Minions was the best win. But what I did see that day was, and this is where McDonald's comments are spot on, that day he had to do a lot of a lot of work. He, he didn't come out of the barriers too well. He had to chase hard after the leaders, get outside the lead. Then he put them away. Then Hyannis came after him. He put him away. And it just seemed every time there was a challenge, he was up to it. And he was just, as McDonald said, a beast. The other times he's been able to basically control and win and he was just simply better. But that Magic Millions win showed that I think he's... He's not just a, you know, a, a speed two-year-old. He's a two-year-old with a lot of depth, and that's why that triple crown is really in their sights because I have, I have no doubt at all extending to 1,400 of the size and 1,600 of the champagne. Uh, he'll, he'll do it well. That's for sure, yeah. I heard your intro too there, David, on him. Obviously, as you said, the chink in his armour would be his slow getaway, but he does muster so quickly. Mm. He had the fastest first 200 of the race um, pretty easily on the weekend to find the front. And then from there, he just controlled things. 
He just look, he's a real tradesman, isn't he? But on Saturday, I think that there's a lot of merit to his end. I think a, a few were like, "Oh, would you take the two dollars thirty in the Golden Slipper?" I don't think you could, probably won't get much better than that in a Golden Slipper. Now, I think a few years ago we had Vancouver start at about two fifty in the Golden Slipper, and he was unbeaten in the lead up, and he drew barrier sixteen. Mm. Uh, it was three deep the the trip in that Golden Slipper. So if he draws wide, he, he has that early speed. He's going to go forward. So I think in terms of price, that's about what you're going to get on Slipper Day. Uh, I think he still, obviously, that wasn't his grand final on Saturday. He had a, a fair gap between his Magic Millions win. There's always been the plan to go three weeks into the Golden Slipper as they did the Magic Millions. He wasn't going to be peaking on Saturday and he was still able to do it and do it pretty easily, to be fair. James, obviously, has ridden a few of these two-year-olds on the way. He's ridden uh, Switzerland as well for Coolmore. He ha- sort of has the choice between the two of them being Coolmore's main rider in Australia, and he wants to stick with this bloke. Now, I think if we're talking about jockeys and knowing what a good horse feels like, I think James would be up there knowing what he feels like, and he was excellent on Saturday. I think I think he's a deserved slipper favourite, but as you said, his, his breeding says he's going to get, uh, well, 1,400 metres a mile and potentially even 2,000 as as a three-year-old, if he, he goes that long, obviously he's a very valuable horse. So we've probably only really got the next 12 months to see him before he's off the start. Hopefully we get 12 months with him because he looks truly like something out of the box. He certainly does. There's a lot of... Uh, when I say hype, I don't say that with disrespect. There, There is a lot of hype about this horse and it comes with the territory because, of course, he's the Magic Millions winner, the fastest Magic Millions winner, Uh then, of course, the the sale, the Coolmore sale, created a lot of uh, publicity. And, of course, another side story to this Storm Boy um, um, uh, situation is, of course, the jockey situation. This is a fascinating story in itself. People saying, you know, who'll ride Storm Boy? Will McDonald keep the ride? Will Ryan Moore come in and take over and take the ride? So, of course, we'll see Switzerland, uh, Coolmore's other runner, this Saturday. That's right on the Todman. Correct, yeah. James will be riding Switzerland, Switzerland in the Todman as well. Now, James said after the race on Saturday when quizzed, uh, which horse do you want to be riding? Uh, would you want to keep the ride on Stormboy for the Golden Slipper? And he said, I'll be trying my best. So I think he's already well, sort of made his choice. Switzerland a very good horse himself, but uh, I think he's a deserved 230 favourite. So he obviously wants to stay with Stormboy, but this will come down to Cornwall, won't it? If Ryan Moore answers the call and he's able to come out here and ride... It will come down to to Cornwall making the final decision. Now, James is going to get a good ride anyway, but he's made it pretty clear that he wants to stick with this bloke. Yeah, exactly right. And, yeah, the price is interesting, 2.30. As I said, I I think, uh, you know, to use an old racing term, rock bottom, but it's also dependent on what happens around him as well. We've still got two rounds of lead-ups, and, you know, if we see an exciting performance this Saturday or even the following Saturday... Uh, if there is a shortening of price of other runners, well, it may allow traders to extend Stormboy. But I've got a feeling, I think you're on the money there. I, I think the, the reputation he's deservedly earned and the hype around him, uh, I think, you know, getting better than 2.30 at the moment would be would be a, would be a long shot. And, and 2.30 is a little bit better than the, uh, the the dollar four you got on the tote on the weekend. So. <laughs> the, other, the other highlight, we, we discussed this pretty extensively yesterday on Pass the Post. We, we chatted with Nash, thinking over beating Fangirl. I suppose Fangirl, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts here. 
She's captive to track conditions. Now, the, the track had the edge off it on Saturday. There was a downgrade during the day. And I think it's fair to say that as the track gets a bit wetter, her sharpness or her, her uh, brilliance is dulled a little. Is that a fair comment? Very fair, I think. Speaking to Chris, Chris doesn't hide that fact that when the thing's out of the ground, she loses a couple of lengths. She, she likes to be on top of the ground. She can deal with these soft tracks uh, in the sort of soft five range. But once it gets towards, well, anything towards heavy, she's just not the same horse. So I think there was two factors on the weekend that really got a beat. We, we had a bit of rain throughout the day, a bit of drizzle that sort of had the track by then chopping up a little bit. Uh, they're obviously coming off the um, coming off the fence a little bit. She did draw ten, but natural back marker anyway. So she was probably going to go back, but back further than they would have thought. And beaten by another fantastic natural ride on a horse, who look you've got to give a, a lot of credit for, don't you? And you've got to give a lot of credit to Kerry Parker and his team for getting this bloke back. He was a Queen Elizabeth winner two years ago, and who's to say he can't win it again this year? He looks to be travelling as good as he was when he obviously had that tendon injury, was out for 12 months, come back in the spring, won the seven stakes at the mile in a, in a pretty good field, and he's come back as well as ever this autumn. He's getting a little bit further on, but Nash just took the shortcuts on him, and he loves a fight. He's a, he's a little bulldog. I've got a little soft spot for him. I, I started my career down, at, uh, down in the Illawarra, uh, more than 10 years ago. And Kerry Parker was one of the first trainers I, I ever spoke to. So uh, whenever he wins, it's good to see uh, a trainer like Kerry, who's very underrated and only has a small team win. But uh, yeah, on Fangirl, I think you can you can easily back an ex-start. She really didn't lose admirers in my mind. The track chopped up. She went back. She got beaten by a good horse. That's racing. 100%. 100%. Yeah, combinations are great in racing horse and jockey. Um, you know, think it over in Rowilla. Currently, we've got Mr. Brightside and Craig Williams. Think about it and Sam Clipperton. I bring that up because, of course, this Saturday, our two Group 1s of the Canterbury Stakes and the Randwick Guineas. And think about it, it's currently $1.70 to win first up in the in the Canterbury on, on the weekend. That's right, he will be. We heard the news late last week, and Peritrez will be staying down in Melbourne, which is a bit of a shame. We're, we're really hoping to see this clash. I'm sure we'll see it. Hopefully, in the TJ Smith, uh, well, we won't see it. We think about it, but uh, with a few other horses, think about it, obviously, heading on that Doncaster mm. path. But we haven't seen Imperatriz in Sydney since last year's Canterbury Stakes where Artorias ran over the top. Uh, uh, well, for the, uh, for the faithful of Artorias, he finally got that second group one coming over the top in a, in a thrilling race. But he's a deserved favourite. Think about it. Speaking of Chris Waller over the weekend, he's got Shinzo and Espiona the next on the next line of betting. Now, Espiona's also going to be nominated for the new market, and Chris will weigh that up. But the, the feeling is there's a leaning towards heading to Melbourne. And Shinzo, no guarantee to start. It's, Chris is just uh, going to decide this morning, actually, if Shinzo will run in the Canterbury Stakes. He's got to weigh up if he's ready. So if those two come out, it, it really opens up. So think about it, doesn't it? It almost looks like um, another thirty shot in a Group 1. Now, you mentioned you spoke with Chris Waller. Give us the inside mail. Give us the, the oil. What does he think about militarising the guineas? Because he's $2.50. He thinks he's the benchmark, David. He thinks he's the deserved favourite and he's travelling terrific. He took a different path to a few of these other three-year-olds that he's going to take uh, on, on Saturday. Celestial Legend, obviously, winning that Hobartville Stakes in, in excellent fashion for Les Bridge and Tom Kitten coming through that race. and cap as well. He's taken on weight for age company first up 
He's got the runs on the board too, I think. He obviously won the Golden Rose last year and, and went on to run run uh, well, was caught pretty wide I backed him in that Cox plate. It wasn't uh, it wasn't his day on that occasion. Stepping out to the mile, he does look like the horse to beat. Chris took him to the races on Saturday as he likes to do with a lot of his Group 1 horses a week out and give them an exhibition gallop. He just had a look around there over a 1,000. He looked good, but, I mean, it is an exhibition gallop. They're, they're racing themselves, so you don't want to read too much into it. But Chris is pretty confident that he's going to be take a power of beating on Saturday, that's for sure. OK, they're the two big ones at Royal Ramwick on Saturday and, of course, uh, a host of other black-type races. Let's uh, go a bit, a bit wider. Uh, William Haggis will have one representative uh, during the championships, a horse called Post-Impressionist, whose aim is the Sydney Cup. Tell us about this horse, Post-Impressionist. Well, we arrived over the weekend with... William was meant to be having three horses this year coming over. Unfortunately, we won't see Dubai on as we've known for a couple of weeks. He had that little setback. Uh, so it will just be Post-Impressionist, whose main target will be the Sydney Cup, where he's equal favourite. Now, he's a nice horse. William Haggis has obviously bought over... He's won three Queen Elizabeths in the past four years, but also won, uh, I believe it was uh, Young Rascal a few years ago uh, as well he brought over. So he's, he's had success not just in the Queen Elizabeth, but a lot of these races. Now, he's a, a decent chance. I was speaking to Tom Marquin the other day. He said they're very different horses to what we've brought over in the past, but you know when William Haggis brings these horses over, they're ready to go. They've got a proven formula now. They, they go out in Canterbury Park. Easy Paul has... Well, has been coming over for four or five years now. So she knows the whole setup there and how it all works and they get him flying. So he's only arrived over the weekend with another four horses, but the other four horses will actually land in Australian stables. So they've just come over, they've got to do their two weeks in quarantine yeah. and then they'll go to Australian uh, Australian stables. Uh, VS 16 will go to Chris Waller. Um, I think it's Poptronic will go to Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Botton and a few others elude me at this point, but... He's going to be competitive, there's no doubt about it. We know William Haggis, yeah, as I said, he's he's deadly when he comes over here. Well, politically, it was a supercharged in Melbourne last week. Of course, Racing Victoria uh, survived a challenge to their board, but in your neck of the woods, you've got a new um, uh, Racing New South Wales chair. First female chair too, David. So Sarah-Ann Cook has taken over probably the least surprising um, appointment if we were looking at this process. Now, we know this dates back to when Russell Boulding stepped down from the role after the Ming's government abandoned plans to extend his tenure. So since, I think it was December, mid-December, they started the process of interviews. Now, Sarah Ann Cook has been the deputy chair for the past three years. So basically, the next person in line, really. Uh, she's been on the board since 2015 and does chair a couple of other boards as well. I believe the, uh, the fly, Royal Flying Doctor Service and um, a few others there as well. So she's got a lot of experience, not just in these board roles, but a board role in, in Racing New South Wales. She's someone that knows Racing New South Wales very well, being with on the board for the past decade. So she'll take over at a time when, well, the I, I guess the main thing, I know it's obviously an, an Australian turf club thing mainly, but the Rose Hill sale is, is going to be something that uh, is going to be keeping her very busy. I'm sure Racing New South Wales and, and Sarah Ann will be uh, very much a part of that process in the next sort of six months as it, as it continues to unfold. Good to chat, Mitch. We'll talk next Monday. Cheers, mate.
Mitch Cohen from the Daily Telegraph joining us. I mentioned last week when we spoke to Chris Barsby to watch this race, which was run on Saturday night, the Chariots of Fire. And it was a Queensland victory because the winner, Frankie Ferocious, is owned and bred by Bill Crosby and uh, now trained by Jason Grimson with Cameron Hart having the drive. And he went to the front and was never headed. Chris is on the line with us this morning. Chris, good morning. David, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. 149.4 was the time. The breakdown was 27, 29.4, 26.6 and 26.4. A tremendous thrill for, for Bill Crosby. Oh, lifetime uh, thrill there, David, to win a race like this. The Chariots of Fire, Group 1, steeped in great uh, honour and tradition. A and so much more at stake, more than just winning the race, because as we now know, the winner gets a guaranteed invite into the Miracle Mile, which they've accepted. Unfortunately, he's got to create some history on the weekend because he's drawn the outside. And as we know... No horse has drawn the two outside gates to win a Miracle Mile since it's been staged at Menangle. The other little part of that little equation is the fact that Leap to Fame's out there with him. So both Leap to Fame and Frankie Ferocious have the two outside gates and no horse has ever won a Miracle Mile from those two outside gates. The most recent that overcame a wide draw was Spankham. That was back in 2019. He drew gate six. He was a four-year-old, just like Frankie Ferocious is, but the Queenslanders, they've got the uh, the job in front of them now with those two wide draws. Let's stay on that Queensland line because uh, Frankie Ferocious, as we said, great for, for the state, but also speak the truth, won the Cordina Group sprint, getting himself into the Miracle Mile and coming up with Barrier 1. So at this point, we'll give you the draw and the tab fixed market. Speak the truth, the one gate, $5.50. Spirit of St. Louis drawn alongside of him at $11. Loyalist at 21 There's an emergency emergency then in Curly James. One of the Kiwis, sooner the better, $41. South Coast Art at a reserve. Hi, my name is Jeff, who won the other sprint on, on Friday, on Saturday night, $3. Don't Stop Dreaming, who was the beaten favourite of the Chariots of Fire at 11 And then those two you mentioned with the outside gates, Leap to Fame, two fifty, and Frankie Ferocious at $8. I think in some quarters when markets went up immediately after the barrier draw, in some quarters Leap to Fame wasn't favourite, but now all of a sudden he is at $2.50 with Hi, my name is Jeff at $3. Now, let's talk about Speak the Truth first, because this was an outstanding performance to come from the outside gate to win. This was brilliant. This was absolutely sensational, a performance of Speak the Truth. Uh, so... Drawing the outside gate at a mile, as we just mentioned, it's almost impossible. But he was able to do the impossible, win this race from that wide draw, 148.8. With that victory and that time, David, he now becomes the fastest ever Q-bred performer. So he was born and bred here in the state of Queensland. And with that mile there on Saturday night, he's now the fastest ever Q-bred performer. And as we just outlined, there was no fluke about it. He was able to win the previous week at Albion Park. He stepped up there. They turned it into a staying contest and he came out on top. He was able to wear down the spirit of St. Louis. So he deserves his spot in the Miracle Mile. There's no question about it. Barrier one, uh, you wouldn't knock it. But I don't think that's the uh, the ideal draw for Speak the Truth. But he's got to back up after a huge mile. But the, the performance alone there on Saturday night was just absolutely spectacular. Just expand on your thoughts on that barrier one, because a lot of people will look at that, uh, maybe uh, casual observers, and say, oh, we came up with a good gate. Uh, your thoughts why it's not the most ideal position? 
He's not brilliant off the arm. He's okay, but he's not brilliant. So there's plenty of horses drawn to his outside that will get him early for uh, speed. So... Uh, in saying that, he's probably going to end up on the inside, which is not a bad spot. You guarantee they're going to go sub-50 here on the weekend. But if you think Barry Awani, he'll lead, that's not the case. There's just too much speed drawn to his outside. So he's going to be uh, facing a bit of a battle there in the early stages. So Frankie Ferocious, 149.4 in the chariots. We've discussed Speak the Truth, 148.8. But the uh, quickest of the night was in the Allied Express sprint, another Grimson runner. Hi, my name is Jeff, 148.4, He runs from barrier five on Saturday night. And, and as you outlined, in some quarters, he opened up uh, as favourite for this Miracle Mile on the weekend. Uh, and the, the reason why he would have opened favourite, the fact that he was drawn inside of Leap to Fame, and the fact, David, most importantly, he's unbeaten at Menangle. He's now had nine starts at the track, nine victories... He loves the mile, and that was evident there on the weekend, taking that Allied Express hint, uh, because he had a wide draw. Cam Hart, we spoke with Cam Hart during the week on a mobile rolling. He said he was just going to launch him. That he did, and then he was able to carve out this brilliant time, quickest time of the night, as you outlined. So he's a, he's a legitimate player. There's no question about it. Now, the other thing with this, so Jason Grimson has the two runners. Hi, my name is Jeff, Frankie Ferocious. Which way will Cam Hart go? He's driving as well as anyone in the country right now. I don't think it's going to be an easy decision which way he goes. I think he'll probably lean towards hi, my name is Jeff, given that he's drawn inside of Leap to Fame and he can, you know, thump out these big miles consistently. So if, uh, if he does lean the way of hi, my name is Jeff... Who gets the drive then on Frankie Ferocious? Nathan Dawson, who's the reigning Australian driver of the year, would he be in the uh, in the mix to pick up the drive on Frankie Ferocious in the Miracle Mile this weekend, given that he does a lot of driving for the Crosby Stable here in Queensland, or does that decision rest solely on trainer Jason Grimson's shoulders? So that will be interesting to see how it plays out, but he's a legitimate player. Hi, my name is Jeff. Yeah, your selection... I leap to fame for me. Um, I, I just love the, the the preparation that he's had. It's been perfect. He didn't have to compete there on Saturday night. As good as those horses were, speak the truth. Hi, my name is Jeff Frankie Ferocious. They're big, big miles that they've had to carve out there on the weekend. Now they've got to back up within the space of a week. Think about it uh, from the the perspective of Leap to Fame. He's had that extra week at, uh, off. Uh, he's been at home in his normal routine, in his own environment. He'll travel down this week. He's a seasoned traveller now. The preparation has been absolutely faultless. So, if he if he is to become a champion, we we're discussing this last week. He needs to win this race on the weekend. And now that he's got this horrible barrier draw, given the fact that no horse has been able to win from one of these two outside draws, I think it's only going to add to the story around Leap to Fame. And he's chasing the big triple crown. An Inter-Dominion, a Hunter Cup and the Miracle Mile within a very short space of time, the same season. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. But I just think all the stars will align and this star pacer from Queensland will get the job done, get the job done again. Yeah, I think that's an outstanding point you make, that where he's drawn, it's not going to be a pushover. It's not going to be easy pickings. It could be a, a tough, tough uh, watch to, to see him win this race. But if he does win it, after a potentially tough run... He will be declared a champion. Just very quickly before you go, because uh, we had three heats of the New South Wales Derby, am I right in saying it's not the strongest group of three-year-olds this season? Uh, 
I would say the crop is okay, but I think just the timing now, because we've changed the season, it's now aligned with the calendar year, Mm. I think people are just sort of maybe just pumping the brakes a little bit with their three-year-olds. They don't want them up uh, and going early because there's so many big races throughout the year. They're they're spoiled for choice with three-year-olds because they've got uh, size stakes racing, sales series-based racing, plus the traditional uh, Group 1 features. So they've got a lot to consider. You can't go in every big race. So I think now we're starting to see that Connections are, are, are carefully and uh, carefully plotting their, their their plans for their three-year-olds. So I think the talent's there, but it's not all in Sydney as it normally is at this time of year. Fair enough. Have a good week, mate, and thank you for your time this morning. Pleasure. Thanks, David. Chris Barsby with all the latest news. He's always got plenty of news. And, yes, the Miracle Mile this Saturday night. Uh, I mentioned last week, don't miss the chariots of fire. Well, don't miss this by 10. This is going to be one hell of a contest as Leap to Fame attempts, as Chris said, to take the uh, the prestigious Triple Crown, the Inter Dominion, the Hunter Cup and the Miracle Mile. Can he do it? He's 2.50 on tab to achieve it. We'll take a break on Press Room and back with Ben Scudder next. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. If it's equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. There are 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all the big names and they provide the very best in veterinary services. You can buy the products online at horseandhound.com.au or there's a free call number 1-800-060-896. 1-800-060-896. Garrard's Horse and Hound. They present Press Room each and every Monday morning. Let's say good morning to Ben Scadden in Adelaide. Good morning, Ben. David, how are you? One week from Adelaide Cup Day. We'll talk yeah. about that shortly. But first up, I want to discuss this last race at Morfordville Parks <laughs> on Saturday. Now... Yep. Let's just put this in perspective. There were three leaders, and when I say three leaders, I mean it literally. Marvellous Nights was on the rail, written by Alana Liversey. Mm-hmm. A horse called Rising Legend, written by Tegan Voran, was up on its outside, and up outside the pair was Wolfburn, written by Rochelle Mills. They made a line of three virtually just after the start and engaged in a brutal speed battle, racing six, seven lengths clear and all dropping out. It was incompetence yeah. at the highest level. Wasn't great, was it? Not a good look. Um, look, I think the jockey with the rail, which was Alana Livesey, has got her right to, to maintain that, but the pressure on the outside was pretty extreme, wasn't it? Alana, um, Rochelle Milnes and Tegan Borum obviously got instructions, you've got to be up on the speed, but, um, yeah, they took it to the next degree. Stewards have um, adjourned an inquiry into it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the outcome. Who's 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 in in the uh, wrong the most? That's a hard one to judge. But as I said, I think the person with the rail in the first place, the the leader, marvellous night with um, Alana Lewis yeah. on board, probably deserves to be allowed allowed to hold that position. When do you make a decision to to um, you know grab a hold and let let something go past you? I don't know. Maybe she would have got into trouble if she did that. Um, yeah, but it wasn't a great look. That's. Uh, a pretty severe lack of judgment, and as you said, all horses beaten by a very long way. Mar- Marvellous not actually did a did a really big job to hold on to fifth, beaten about seven lengths. But the other two, Wolfburn, uh, beaten fourteen lengths. Rising Legend beaten almost uh, almost twenty two lengths. So didn't pay off, did it? No, certainly not. And as um, to, to point out, they're all in market runners as well. Marvellous Knights yeah. five fifty. Wolfburn seven fifty and Rising Legend five dollars. Sometimes visually things can look worse than what they are, but in this case it's not the case. And I want to bring up a, an example. 
The time for the race was 133.91. That's run over 15.50. The last 600 was 38.38. Now, the first... So the first 950 metres. So just keep that that figure in mind. 950 metres was covered in 55.53. The Mm. reason I say keep that in mind, the 950, at Mooney Valley... Their short course <laughs> race is 955 yeah. metres. So we've got 50, a pretty good comparison. 55, yeah. 55 second. <laughs> so so we've, we've, we've got a yeah. good, good comparison here. Yeah. So the 955 metre record at Mooney Valley is a held by a horse called Sister, who ra- has run 40, uh, sorry, 54 48. That's yeah. flat out over 955, <laughs> the fastest yeah. in history at Mooney Valley. Yeah. And these three women went one second faster in a race where they still had another uh, 600 metres to go. So, yeah. And, and the, 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 the disappointing part is we've seen these girls ride and they all ride very well. I mean, uh, yeah. so it, it's it, it's out of character, but gee, it, it left a lot of putters very angry. I mean... It, oh, absolutely, yeah. But, um, yeah, it was a bad look. If you're on the favourite, you're pretty happy with um, Maggie Collett riding Tiny Treasure sitting back smoking the pipe and um, you know, would have been rubbing your hands together thinking, how good's this? So, um, but yeah, for the for anybody who was on any of those three, you'd be um, yeah, you'd be pretty pretty angry. We'll follow that steward's inquiry with interest. Of course, yeah. as I said, it's only a week to the to the Adelaide Cup, and next Monday, press room takes a backseat. Andrew Brown will take you through an Adelaide Cup special. We'll have the uh, lots of interviews and, and the big preview of the day as well. The Cup market is out on tab. The map four dollars, Amart mm-hmm. at six, Yellow Brick Road at six, Acceleration at nine, Herman Hess at nine. I think there were thirty-one noms for the for the cup. But, thirty-one. But yep. J- Jamie Card definitely riding the map. Is that that right? Yeah, that's been that's been locked in. Dan Clark and Uppy McGilvray. They've announced that Jamie will take the ride on the map. She's the favourite, and she is. It's fair to say, um, the hopes of South Australia will be resting firmly on the uh, on the back of the map. I think when I looked at the noms from what I could work out, there are three South Australian trained horses among those 31 nominations. And the other two probably won't get a start. Tulligan for Trevor Day is a 50, 56 rider. Won't get a run, I wouldn't have thought. And eight on the dot for Scott Whittle is a 57 rider. Again, unlikely to get a run. So other than the map, Every other runner in the field is most likely going to be trained outside of South Australia. So, um, yeah, there's, there's going to be plenty of plenty of heat on the map. Um, and Jamie Carr, obviously, is, is a favourite here in South Australia because, you know, she's, uh, she grew up here and started her riding career here as well. Yeah. So she'll, um, I think there'll be a, be a lot of support for the map on uh, next Monday. And, and understandably so, of course, Jamie won on Dyson Sweet Junior in the Adelaide Cup back in 2022. I was there that day, and she was so delighted to win that race. It was a, it was a big thrill for her winning in a, in a, in her hometown. Um, just a couple of other things now. Port Lincoln had their Cup on Friday. Big crowd was there, yeah. I, I believe. Yeah, look, look fantastic. Look, I've, I've never been to the Port Lincoln Cup many, but it looks like it's an absolute belting day and um, from the vision on the TV you could see people lined along the straight there and it was um, looked like a great day, it was lovely weather um, the the cup was won by a horse called I Need a Drink, trained by John Dunn and Crystal Bishop and significantly ridden by Rochelle Milnes Rochelle who didn't have such a good day the following day as we've just talked about um, 
in that last race at Morfield on Saturday. But um, yeah, she was she was really thrilled to win this race. She's a she's a Port Lincoln local, so there was a lot of significance in her winning that race, the uh, the Port Lincoln Cup. It's something she said she'd treasure as much as it was like winning a Melbourne Cup for her. She was uh, she was absolutely delighted to win that race. So um, yeah, that was that was good to see and. Um, yeah, John Dunn, Crystal Bishop, they uh, they certainly played a big hand in that Port Lincoln Cup meeting. Just went through the stats, and from what I could work out, they had 29 of the 89 runners at the meeting. And one of the races, um, I think it was race six, they had nine of the 13 runners in the one race. Trained first, second, third, and fifth place getters as well. Then the uh, the last, last five across the line too, so... Don't see that too often. It feels like some of those races you see in, um, well, you know, with your two-year-olds up there in Queensland, yeah. and um, yeah, it's pretty unusual. But they uh, they took a big team there, and they won some races, and they won the cup. So I'm sure they were very happy. And my long-range prediction that next year we'll be back to a two-day Port Lincoln Carnival, maybe Wednesday and Friday. We'll see if that yeah. that pans out. If you're back, marvelous night, rising legend of Wolfburn. You certainly had your pants pulled down on the weekend, but that yeah. wasn't the only case of pants being pulled down. No, no, it wasn't. So, yeah, this came out. I wasn't aware of this until I read a steward's report um, at the end of last week. So Todd Balfour, um, former jockey, jumps jockeys, licensed, uh, worked for the Hayes table for a little while, brother of Ryan. Um, he's been disqualified for five years for dacking or pulling down the pants of an official at the uh, at the end of the day at, a, at the KI Cup meeting, Kangaroo Island Cup meeting. So... I'm sure Todd will appeal that penalty. Um, look, originally they, from what I'd heard, they were they were looking at a 10-year disqualification for it. And um, yeah, given the circumstances, Todd pleaded guilty. All those kind of things. Um, they reduced it to five years, so pretty significant. Um, yeah, not something we want to see. Um, you know, people might have a bit of a laugh about it, but it's actually you know really poor form for somebody who's a, an official trying to do the right thing. Um, I think they were they were doing. Um, um, breath analysis testing on on a few industry participants. Yeah, Todd went there and pulled pulled the pants down of that particular official. So, um, yeah, like I said, it can be something that people joke about, but when you think about the actual incident, um, yeah, not something we want to endorse. I don't think it's funny. Um, yeah, really, really poor decision by Todd. No, oh, to, to, to say the least, reprehensible behaviour. Uh, two mentions before you go. Uh, yeah. Jai Lukey, I heard this name come up during the week. Was it was it a Gawler he trained a winner? Yeah, it was. His so first? look, I don't, I don't. It was his first training winner. Um, exalted Kate, ridden by Caitlin Tootle, won a Gawler on Wednesday. Um, Jai's based at Strathalbyn. I don't know him very well at all, um, but f- from what I've I've learned, he uh, he's done quite a lot of breaking and and pre-training of of horses. Trains a handful now. Um, looks like he's got half a dozen or so on the books. Um, he's based in Strathalbyn and it's obviously a really significant moment for him you could see though him and Caitlin embracing after the race at Gawler on Wednesday both you know really excited to get that done so the way that the horse won as well she ran really impressively exalted Kate um, you suggest that she's going to win some more races and um, yeah it won't be the certainly won't be the last winner that Jai trains so best of luck to him we got some uh, news uh, positive news but but still a long way to go regarding uh, Chelsea Reynolds' health. Yeah, so Chelsea obviously injured in that track work incident um, a little while ago, and you know it's been the updates have been um, you know reasonably well spread out. We haven't heard a great deal, but the family did put out a statement towards the end of last week saying that she'd started to open her eyes, 
Um, she'd had surgery to reduce pressure around her brain. Um, doctors have started to um, reduce the level of sedation. So she's then opened her eyes. Uh, she hasn't communicated at all from what I've heard. Um, the family have indicated that they're expecting it's going to be a very long road to recovery for Chelsea. Don't exactly know what the outcome's going to be of that, but all we can do is wish everybody involved with Chelsea and Chelsea herself the, the best and hope that it's, um, it's as positive recovery as we could uh, hope for. 100%. Good on you, Ben. Thanks for talking with us this morning. Thanks very much, David. Ben Scadden joining us. Let's go to Duncan Dordoff in Tassie. Morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm well, David. It was a big day last Wednesday, of course. Launceston Cup Day. One by acceleration. No surprise here. The $2.60 favourite, Harry Coffey, riding for Richard Cully. Yeah, it was heavily backed on that race that morning to start favourite and uh, given a lovely ride by Harry Coffey just off the speed. And I think the 54 kilos then nearly a good turn of foot this horse has shown. In a couple of replays I watched prior to the uh, race, he was able to produce that again in Launceston on Wednesday. And he uh, dashed away late to score in the cup by one and a quarter lengths. So, brilliant ride by Harry Coffey. That's his second win in the Launceston Cup and a good result for Richard Tully. That's his first group winner, the uh, Launceston Cup deemed a group three race. Unfortunately, Richard couldn't be trackside uh, because the uh, fires in the Ballarat region were near his stable. So, he stayed back at Ballarat to uh, look after his property. But this has been in the pipeline since September, this race, and uh, the plan certainly came off there on Wednesday. Well, he won the Great Western Cup to start before, and I see he's nom for the Adelaide Cup next Monday, so he may well go there. I anticipate he will. A number of horses uh, from the Launceston Cup amongst the nominations. Uh, our Amber Ladd, who finished second, Grand Fierro third, are also amongst the, the nominations. And uh, we generally see many of those interstate horses uh, go through Launceston onto Adelaide. You had other features. The hell of a street. I see one by Indispensable, and Queenslanders uh, will remember this horse well because he had a good stint up here under the care of Jake Duncan, but he's back in Tassie now, and... He likes to get back and hit the line harder. That's exactly what he did for Froggy Newitt. He certainly did to dead heat with Keats, who did look the winner 100 out, but indispensable. He's uh, been in the care of John Blacker. He was sent down to the carnival, and he, he has performed well, of course. He won the uh, listed at Conquering a couple of starts ago in the early part of our summer carnival. Uh, so John uh, indicated he's likely to go to a spell and probably head back to Victoria for the winter. And uh, Keeps, who looked to have had the race won at the 100 metres, that just peaked late to uh, share the spoils. Uh, they're going to look at a race in Adelaide or possibly the Albury Cup with that scallop. That, that was a thrilling finish. It was just under a length between the top five. And Craig Williams was uh, also in action at Lonnie, winning the, the, the Vamos. Yeah, Mega Mia for Luke Oliver was able to uh, run down uh, Jenny Jerome over the completing stages to take out the uh, Group 3 Mayor's feature. Uh, last time Craig rode this match was a late stretching at the gates, got a leg caught up in the, in the barrier, so he was uh, delighted to get the win for Luke and Eugenia Clark trapside as uh, well. She was very emotional after that win. Exactly right. Of course, it uh, was uh, uh, Tasmania Cup uh, for the Harness at Hobart on the weekend and uh, you were just as successful on a roughie. Yeah, Modern Bliss that gave her her first Group 1 win. It was only her 38th career win in the Sulky as well. Of course, she's the daughter of John Justice and uh, the granddaughter of Josie Justice. Josie actually grew up in Queenstown on Tasmania's west coast. So we'll find a local connection to make it a local win. But 
Uh, for someone that's uh, only had uh, the limited chances she has in this early part of their career, it was a brilliant feature race drive. Uh, ended up in the 1-1. Possibly could have went three and four wide around the home bend, but she decided to go back to the sprint lane, and I think that was the winning move to uh, run down the leaders. It was also the first Group 1 win for trainer Ash Wharton from Victoria. He's a dual code trainer. He mixes his time between the harness and thoroughbreds. And uh, he was very delighted with that victory. So uh, good to see Harness Racing in a positive light there on Saturday night. We mentioned with Colin last week that the Ben Yoll and three others had their appeals upheld over a warning off. And, of course, they nominated and, and were put into the acceptances for, for racing at Hobart. Uh, there was a last-minute um, legal manoeuvre to see this maybe not happen, but obviously it didn't succeed. Although I'm not quite certain of the facts, but the bottom line is... They, they raced over the weekend. They raced at Bernie as well yesterday. Yeah, so uh, in the Supreme Court on Friday, the four applicants represented by Melbourne-based barrister Damien Shields uh, sought an application seeking an order from TAS Racing being restrained from issuing warning off notices under the Racing Regulation Act. Uh, Justice Pearce did rule uh, until further order that TAS Racing to be restrained from issuing warning off notices to each of the four applicants, uh, he also directed that by March 11, uh, the applicants provide the court with particulars of the grounds on which they allege TAS Racing is operating outside its jurisdiction in issuing warning off notices and a set down that matter for January 21. So uh, in the appeals process, they sort of believe that should have been dealt with by the Office of Race Integrity and not TAS Racing. Uh, Andrew Jenkins, the uh, TAS Racing CEO, did say he was disappointed with the outcome and TAS Racing will comply with the decision of the Supreme Court. And he uh, also stated that as a matter of urgency that he would write to the Director of Racing encouraging him to consider the powers available to him under the Act to address the serious issues raised in the Murray report. Now, as it stands, the Office of Racing Integrity, which was heavily criticised in the Murray report, have had uh, very little to say publicly that uh, Robin Thompson, who is the acting director of racing, uh, did have a quote in the paper on uh, Saturday saying this process will investigate the issues, provided an opportunity for the parties to respond to the term, which may or may not result in sanctions, according to the harness racing rules, and that wanted standard procedural fairness and natural justice-based process to be applied. So. Uh, that's the first we've heard from the Office of Racing Integrity since the Murrahee report was released, uh, which was uh, a while ago now. And a lot to play out, obviously. Good on you, Duncan. Thanks for talking with us this morning. Thank you, David. Duncan Dordoff from Tasmania. That's Press Room for Monday the 4th of March. Hope you enjoyed the program. Always enjoy your company and look forward to having you with me in two weeks' time. Don't forget next Monday, Big Adelaide Cup Day preview with all of the action and, of course, the, the, the big preview to find you as many winners as possible. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye.